Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up later in the program, we'll meet a group of local high school students who created their own online tutoring platform. But first, we'll begin with this, and that is another round of heavy storms is expected this afternoon. According to the National Weather Service out in Peachtree City, heavy rain with these storms could lead to flash flooding, especially where multiple storms move over the same areas. And the severe thunderstorm watch remains in effect until 5 p.m. Now on to the other major news today. Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms addressed yet another violent weekend in the city. And I I wish that I could wave a magic wand or, or, or give some speech to make it stop. But until we address the number of guns in the hands of criminals on our street, and if I could do it from the city level alone, I would, but until our state leaders take a look at the most lax gun laws that we have in this country and the way that guns get into the hands of criminals. Until that happens, I am so sad to say that this likely will not be the last time I stand here. Mayor Bottoms went on to say she's recommending interim chief Rodney Bryant be named permanent in the position. So I don't want there to be any question on whether or not I have confidence in the leadership of Chief Bryant. So while I know the men and women of this department respect him and they know him, whether his title is interim or permanent, he's still showing up and he's leading every day. But I want to remove this from the conversation. So for those of you who believe that naming him as a permanent chief will make a difference in crime in our city. I am naming him as permanent chief today. I'm going to put his name forth to city council and ask that they confirm him immediately. The mayor also announced she's creating a working group which will draft recommendations for addressing crime throughout the city. In other news, Democratic State Representative B. Wynn is entering the race for Georgia's top election official. Republicans have done everything in their power to silence the voices of voters who chose an America that works for all of us and not just some of us. In a video, like most all candidates do, Representative Wynn says she's running to protect Georgians' voting rights in the wake of the Republicans' new voting laws here in Georgia. And also, a programming note, Representative Wynn will join me on tomorrow's 
closer look. Now, current Secretary of State Raffensperger also faces a primary challenge from Republican Representative Jody Heiss, who has been endorsed by former President Donald Trump. And this, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp has loosened many of the state's COVID-19 restrictions. And Governor Kemp signed a 28-page executive order on Friday while touring the U.S.-Mexico border. A spokesperson for the governor released a statement saying, quote, Businesses across the Peach State have followed COVID-19 restrictions for over a year to keep their employees and customers safe and will now be able to make informed decisions about how their business operations move forward. Now, here's a question. Is it too soon? You know, many public health officials have been warning governors to proceed with caution, and there's so much more to talk about this. So join me now, as he always does, and give us an update on all the COVID-19 related news is WABE health reporter and the host of of course, the podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands? Sam Whitehead. Sam, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Hey, Rose. Good, as always, to be with you. Sam, let's begin with this. Uh, there's been some criticism. Obviously, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp uh, released a new executive order on Friday, lifting many of the state's COVID-19 restrictions. Uh, before we get all into that, what exactly is in the new executive order that the, the governor signed? Yeah, great question. So it was about a month ago that the governor really did uh, some kind of substantial groundwork here, rolling back a number of public health measures that had been in place for many, many months prior to that. This latest executive order from the governor rolls those back even more. So, for example, you know, previously when there were, uh, you know, social distancing requirements for residents of Georgia, now those are just strongly encouraged. Uh, there are also changes like at bars and restaurants, distances between tables and seats, requirements that they be a certain distance apart. Those have been eliminated. Workers are no longer going to be mandated to wear masks. So again, these are. Um, this really seems to mirror the approach the governor has taken with many of his public health rules throughout the pandemic, encouraging people to do the right thing. Uh, what public health officials would say are the right things, but not necessarily mandating that. And Sam, other states have made similar decisions. You know, and Governor Kemp says social distancing is now only, quote, strongly encouraged, but not required. So here's a question. Are there any measures that remain in place as related to COVID-19? You know, I think that is effectively no <laughs> i mean to be to yeah. be very honest and you know you, you mentioned you you know i think the the really important distinction here is that there are still recommendations but they're not mandates when mm -hmm. previously they were um it also is important to note that the public health state of emergency which the governor declared early last year and gives him broad powers in the middle of the pandemic that is also still on the books so mm -hmm. You know, there is this acknowledgement that we are still in an emergency situation, uh, but the governor's office really seems to be sending a signal to businesses and restaurants. And again, signals they had already been sending before mm -hmm. um, that they can really the onus is on them to mm -hmm. do things to protect their customers. He does, The governor doesn't seem to think that's the state's responsibility. Mm. Well, Sam, here's a question. How have public health officials responded to this decision? You know, like they've responded to many other decisions the governor has made, um, it's not been too kind. Uh, we saw uh, Emory University's Dr. Carlos Del Rio, um, someone I talk to frequently, who's on this show frequently, who, you know, uh, said that this move was too soon. Um, infections in Georgia are still higher than they were uh, during the period last year when the state was under a shelter in place order. Certainly, 
other factors are different at this point. Um, but, you know, we do still have lots of infection. We do still have lots of hospitalization. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there is no guarantee that just because things generally have been looking better in the past, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to continue to improve in the future. And Sam, and how are the state's COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations, how are they trending? Because at this time, the state has confirmed more than 882,000 cases since last March. I'll let you answer, but I just want to add, I got to tell you, John Hopkins has a different number. They have over a million confirmed cases. So it's kind of interesting when you look at what they have and what the state has, but uh, we'll try to figure that out later. How is the state in terms of its cases and hospitalizations trending? You know, I like to look at kind of the way things have been moving, not just the raw numbers, but Mm -hmm. what was a number a week ago and what is a number now? And if you look at the number of newly confirmed cases by day, uh, for the last month or so in Georgia, that's been relatively flat. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we look at WABE's tracking of these figures, these are state figures. We saw those case numbers really decline sharply after the peak that we saw uh, in winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the last month or so, they've remained relatively unchanged. It's pretty much been the same for hospitalizations as well. And, you know, I think it's really important for our listeners to understand that, again, past uh, past results are not a indicator of future performance, right? Mm-hmm. So just because these numbers have gone down in the past, we still have a lot of people in this Georgia or in the state who either have not been vaccinated mm-hmm. or, or have never gotten sick with COVID-19 in the first place. They are still vulnerable to infection. And so I think that that's the concern here is as things open up, uh, what really happens to these people who have no antibody protection from from this virus? Yeah. And Sam, as you, folks don't know now. The state, this comes just after the state announced plans to move away from its current mass vaccination site model. Um, How long do we know how long any of the mass vaccination sites will remain open? Georgia's emergency management agency has been running, uh, you know, a handful of these big kind of drive through sites around the state. They have said that those are now going to be shutting down later this month. I believe the actual closing date uh, as of now is the 21st of May. So just Mm -hmm. a few more weeks. Mm -hmm. Other important changes. These sites are moving to the one shot vaccine from Johnson and Johnson, and they're no longer going to be giving uh, first doses of the Pfizer vaccine. Again, this is this two dose vaccine that these big sites had really been relying on. From this point forward, they're only going to be handing out second doses and it's only going to be by appointment only. And, you know, Rose, these vaccination sites for weeks and weeks prior to this announcement that they were going to close had issues with demand. Mm -hmm. While demand was very high in some parts of Metro Atlanta early on uh, when vaccines were were becoming available, it just really has been flagging around the state for some time. Mm -hmm. And this is not only a Georgia phenomenon. You know, the Biden administration announced last week 200 million shots have been administered in their first 100 days. Federal officials acknowledge that we are getting to a point where everyone who really wants a vaccine and is going to go through the trouble of going to one of these big drive-in sites, they've been reached. And so the approach moving forward is really going to be much more targeted, mm-hmm. really a door by door, you know, mm-hmm. community event to community event to get these people who might be a little more hesitant to get vaccinated. Well, Sam, where does Georgia rank among the other states in comparison to the, I guess we call it the vaccination rate? Are we still among the the worst? 
Yeah, when you look at uh, data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Georgia and other states across the South um, are falling behind other parts in the country when it comes to the percentage of the population that's been vaccinated. Uh, there is a little bit of a discrepancy between the numbers that Georgia public health officials have and what the feds say. Uh, the latest numbers from the Georgia Department of Public Health say about 26% of Georgians have been fully vaccinated. So fully vaccinated, that is two weeks after you complete your vaccine regimen, whether that's a one dose or a two dose regimen. Um, and 35% of the state DPH says has received at least one dose. So there's still a lot of ground uh, for Georgia to make up here. If we want to consider that, you know, early on conversations around herd immunity were, mm -hmm. you know, required us maybe getting upwards of 70 and 80% of any population vaccinated. Um, certainly there are, uh, there's some rethinking about whether herd immunity is going to be a possibility at this point. But even if we consider that as a goalpost, Georgia is still pretty far away. And Sam, speaking of that, do we know if state officials, public health officials, Dr. Kathleen Toomey, if anyone has even given a what's a, I guess, acceptable number in terms of fully vaccinated, if we're still under 30 percent, do they have a goal? Has anyone said anything or released any statement saying this is where we'd like to reach? Based on the approach of state officials prior to this pandemic, I would be really hard pressed to imagine they would put out a hard number. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's really hard, I think, in public health to set a hard goal because it's always going to be harder than you think to achieve it. Mm -hmm. um, I would imagine their goal is as many people as possible. And, you know, I think, uh, Rose, we have seen that push from federal officials as well. Dr. Anthony Fauci regularly is asked this question at White House COVID briefings. What number do we need to hit to, you know, reach herd immunity? And he kind of rejects the premise because there's this understanding that in an ideal world, we would get everybody vaccinated. So the, the push really seems to be not to focus on numbers, but just to try to get as many shots in arms as possible. And Sam, as we begin to wrap up, what else are you following? You've been following this for so long and we really appreciate it. What else are you paying attention to over the next few months here? You know, Rose, I think that we are entering a little bit of a new phase uh, with the pandemic, especially when it comes to vaccination. You know, this is something that we're seeing in Georgia and across the country. The supply is now outstripping demand. Everyone who was really just jazzed to get a vaccine, they likely have gotten one or made an appointment. So I'm going to be watching how do public health officials here in Georgia and across the country reach populations that are harder to reach? Uh, my understanding is that the president is going to be delivering some remarks later today specifically mm -hmm. about vaccine access in rural parts of the country. So that's one thing to watch. Um, we've had some some news roads uh, that uh, Pfizer now, it looks like they're going to be asking federal regulators to authorize their COVID vaccine uh, for adolescents, mm -hmm. people 12 to 15 years of age. Um that's exciting news for a lot of people. And, and I think what that's going to trigger, Rose, is this conversation about what kind of role does the U.S. play not only in getting its population vaccinated, but populations around the world vaccinated. Mm -hmm. we're, we're seeing the pandemic explode right now in India, mm -hmm. um, you know, and the virus knows no bounds. Literally, it can come and go around the world as it pleases. And so I think there's this question of, is the United States going to focus on getting adolescents vaccinated, a population that has been much, uh, you know, not as impacted as hard as adults? Or does the U.S. start to become more of a, of a world player 
um, in this pandemic and helping other countries uh, getting their outbreaks under control. Absolutely. You look. You mentioned India, Brazil, and then also so many African nations that desperately need the vaccines in their communities. Sam Whitehead, our WABE health reporter and host of the podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands? As always, Sam, good talking to you. Great information. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Rose. Be well. Take care. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Raise your hand if you need a vacation. Not you driving. In fact, some of our Closer Look listeners told me, yes, they need a vacation. And their summer plans include traveling. Both my wife and I have gotten our shots, and so we're going to travel. Of course, we're going to practice social distancing and everything. So we're going to be in the car, and we're going to enjoy the economy opening back up, and we want to contribute to it. We're going to save up and enjoy what Florida has to offer. We're going out to Florida. We're driving. But this summer, we're hoping to go out of the country to the Caribbean, if that's possible. But we've been trying to get the vaccine. We haven't been able to get both vaccines yet, but we certainly would love to get the vaccines before we travel. You know, next month, I plan on going back to Michigan to see some family. Really want to see my parents and my uncles and my grandparents, um, and everyone got vaccinated, and I'll be fully vaccinated. Me and some friends decided that we're going to head to Mexico and, and kind of just enjoy and get away. Y'all going to Florida? Mexico? All right, cool. According to a new report from TripAdvisor, more than 67% of Americans plan to travel this summer. And, of course, Memorial Day is just weeks away. The report finds that hotel and lodging searches are on the rise as well. And now that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they have these latest guidelines, easing up those masking restrictions for fully vaccinated people, y'all are going to be all over the place, which means this summer will look nothing like last meaning a very busy summer, and that includes short-term rental companies such as Airbnb, which they've launched an eight-point plan called the Summer of Responsible Travel. And joining me now to talk more about this is Ben Bright from Airbnb's Public Affairs Department. Ben, thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Where are you, where are you, what are you doing this summer? Are you traveling? Where are you going? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm traveling all over the place and making up for all the weddings that were uh, that were postponed. I was supposed to be at last year, so should should be busy and should be on the road quite a bit. So Exciting. You, so when y'all hear folks are going to hit the road, they're traveling this summer. That is good for folks like you and your industry. How long you been in this space? Uh, so Airbnb was founded actually in in the uh, in the midst of, of the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. So uh, just as President Obama was taking office, kind of a weird time to be uh, to be starting a, a, a company. But uh, that that's those that's the origin story of of, of Airbnb. It was founded in San Francisco. Um, uh, just a, a few our, our co-founders were just trying to make their rent. 
<laughs> yeah, by, by renting out a few air beds on their floor, literally, mm-hmm. uh, dur- during a, a conference that came to town. And all these years later, we've got 5.6 million listings throughout the globe, including uh, quite a few in Atlanta. You know, you all did report a, a revenue of $859 million for the fourth quarter of last year, but you did cite a loss. I imagine did the pandemic have a little bit to do with that? Yeah, you know, it, it, a year ago at this time, it, it was a scary, it was obviously a scary moment for everyone for, for obvious reasons. Um, but, you know, for those of us at, at the company, for our host community, you know, travel literally stopped. Mm-hmm. It paused. <laughs> uh, and and it, it was just unclear, you know, what, what is this going to look like moving forward? Um, but as we began to learn more about, about this virus and, and how it spreads and that there are ways to leave your home safely and responsibly if you're following that public health guidance, um, you know, we started to see things pick up. People who wanted to get out of their homes but wanted to be able to socially distance too, um, you know, and when the CDC came out and said, look, if you're going to travel, um, you know, the, the, the safest way to do so appears to be in a vacation rental, mm-hmm. uh, maybe not so much in, uh, you know, a giant hotel with a huge lobby and you're sharing elevators, right? So um, we started to see a spike in people who wanted to get out of their homes, were able to do it safely and responsibly. We saw spikes in rural travel. Um, so people, I mean, Atlanta is always an incredible destination, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, people wanted to get off the beaten path, even out of cities. Um, so there have been some really fascinating trends as a result. So are you saying if folks wanted to maybe check out more remote destinations? Yeah, that, I mean, that that's where there's just a ton of growth going on. Uh, and I think we're going to continue to see that, even though there's now a light at the end of the tunnel, people are getting vaccinated. So um, that should hopefully be, you know, positive for, you know, more urban, uh, you know, big cities that have always been uh, great destinations, um, such as Atlanta, of course. Um, but I, I think, you know, that the, the, the trend of kind of rural staycations, that's not going away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people have fallen in love with a lot of these communities, especially out near lakes, out in the mountains, um, really skyrocketed in popularity. That being the case, Ben, you all have you have to give guidelines. Obviously, we know about the public health officials, but you all also have to give guidelines to your host. And now you have this new eight point plan, the summer of responsible travel. Uh, how did all this come about? Sure. So, so, you know, it started in the wake of the pandemic where, you know, we were trying to get guidance out to our hosts and to our guests on what is the way to, to be able to travel responsibly. And of course, this is before the vaccine was, was widely available. Um, so at the time, we actually brought aboard uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy, who is now the Surgeon General. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was not at the time. This, this was prior to the election. Um, so he was able to, um, you know, help us with, with that guidance. And I think most importantly, um, a, a pretty uh, comprehensive cleaning protocol um, that, that we were asking in particular our hosts to adapt to and to follow and to their credit, you know, they really stepped up. Uh, I think cleaning, you know, for anyone who's used Airbnb or short-term rentals before, and particularly for those who have hosted, cleaning has always been paramount. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if, you're, if you're not doing the job on the cleaning front, even in normal times, you're not going to last very long and our platform really is the, is the reality. Um, but obviously, you know, everyone had to raise their game mm-hmm. and there were kind of particular measures that, um, that we were re- recommending and eventually began to mandate. Um, that they follow. And one unique one is just asking, hey, you know, if you're going to be coming into contact with your guests for whatever reason, um, you need to be wearing a mask, just really simple stuff like that. Um, and, and, and just following the public health guide. And so some of this kind of predates um, the vaccine being widely available. But 
as things are opening up, travel is coming back. Um, you know, people are, are are getting you know hopefully immune from from this horrific violence that is you know just ravaged our entire country, including Atlanta. Um, you know, we still need to be following that that public health guidance. Do you have a mask um, for your dog, Ben? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, may, I may run back and, uh, and, and take care of that. Your dog's fine. It's okay. It's, she, it's public she's radio. She's so excited about it, safe and responsible right. travel. It's public know. radio. We don't care about dog barking. Let me ask you this because, <laughs> and, we, and we're talking about safety measures with Ben Bridey's public affairs with Airbnb because it goes beyond, obviously, when we're talking about the coronavirus, but you all have had another issue here. And in this new plan, I understand you're going to, you have something that you can hopefully prevent so-called Party houses. Now, here in Atlanta, right. we've had city council members raise concerns over this. Totally. What do you all have in this eight-point plan that addresses that? Sure. So some of this is long-term and some of this is really special for, for the upcoming summer. Um, we, we know that this is an issue of concern, particularly in Atlanta. Uh, in many ways, predates Airbnb. But look, look the reality is when, when, when bars closed, when, when, when clubs closed, or at least were restricted, you know, so some of that behavior, you know, people didn't want to stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they attempted to take it to, to homes that they were renting. Um, so we really had to step up. It's just not something we're going to tolerate. We ban parties. We just, it, we ban party houses, right? So with that, we're talking about a home where, you know, it's happening over and over and over again. We're getting reports every weekend. Uh, that's not something we're going to tolerate, but also just straight up parties in general, messaging out to our guests. Look, if that's something you're trying to do, First off, maybe maybe don't, <laughs> maybe follow you know the advice of, uh, of 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 the public health officials of the Atlanta officials and, and don't do that. Uh, but also, there's going to be really stringent measures that that we're going to take. We've even begun, um, in, in certain cases, taking legal action against ho- uh, against guests, uh, excuse me, who have thrown unauthorized parties, mm-hmm. who have violated both our rules, our host rules, um, you know, for the duration of, of of much of the pandemic, the city's rules. Right. So just not something we're going to tolerate. So, Ben, how do you define party and then a gathering and then also I'll let you finish that. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's 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 because, you know, we we've also set an occupancy cap at 16 people. Obviously, you know, a party or something disruptive can still happen with less than 16 people. We we acknowledge that. So uh, drawing the line at 16 has helped. Um, uh, get some clarity out mm-hmm. to our hosting guests that I don't care what you're doing. If it's over 16 people right now in this pandemic, not okay. Uh, and below that, look, it's just about respecting neighbors and and just nothing disruptive is really the name of the game. So another thing we've rolled out is a 24 seven neighborhood hotline. Mm-hmm. Um, it's accessible at airbnb.com slash neighbors. And we encourage any neighbors to follow up with us. If there's anything we need to know about. How do you make sure that folks aren't going to be unfairly profiled? as well in terms of the guests hundred percent and this this is something you know and and um you may already be aware of this but you know dating back to 2016 this first came you know became public i think in a in a really big way you know the airbnb while black um uh, hashtag Mm -hmm. and it was a real formative moment for the company um so a few things that we've done um in in the wake of that were a beefed up non-discrimination policy uh, we've introduced a community commitment in addition to that. So it's on the front end as you're joining the platform, we're asking you to commit that uh, basically you won't be racist. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little uh, uh, less blunt than that. But, yeah, uh, that I mean, and will, if you, you will, yeah, you're you assuming folks without, will say, I, I commit to not, you know, being someone who's but, racist. But you know what's whatever. interesting is there are uh, over 1.4 million people who have not who have declined that community commitment because they couldn't accept 
that commitment they were we were asking them um, uh, to align with, just saying that really? they could not act without absolutely. Over well, you know, 1. I guess 4. that's good. You, you yeah. want to know who doesn't want to commit to being a racist? Hundred percent. And those people are banned from Airbnb. And honestly, that good is reasons, wild. Right? Yeah. And that's, maybe uh, not surprising, Ben. Totally, totally. Um, so I, I think there's a lot more. One thing that, that we've done as well is we have taken away profile photos until the booking is accepted, right? So this is something that we were hearing um, from guests saying, look, when I'm trying to get a reservation, you know, my, my photo is evident and I feel like it may be a factor, right? So we took that away. Um, so uh, hosts are not seeing uh, that, that profile photo until after the booking is already accepted. Um, I think there's a lot more on, on the way and we got a lot more work to do, but I, I think we're proud of what we've accomplished so far in the wake of, uh, of that real formative moment in 2016. Ben, as we wrap up, what have you all learned in terms of how the pandemic might change your industry or, you know, home sharing or home, you know, short-term rental industry as a whole? What are the lessons well, learned here? hundred percent. I think what we've learned is travel is never going to be the same. Travel is never going to be the same. And additionally, I, I, you know, I, I was, uh, talking about some of these rural destinations, that trend is not going away. I mean, I think people have fallen in love with a lot of these areas of the country that haven't traditionally been huge travel hubs. So that's number one. But also the way work is changing, where you're going to see a lot more flexibility, a lot more people able to work remotely. We're seeing a lot more folks who are just kind of booking Airbnbs for a month or two and just kind of living elsewhere, uh, living and working. Mm -hmm. I did it myself along with my wife uh, for, for two weeks back in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, uh, and, and we loved it. So I think that's a trend that's not going away as well. All right, Ben Bright with Airbnb's Public Affairs Department. We'll have a link to your eight-point plan for the summer of responsible travel. Ben, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Um, what's your dog's name? Her name is Bree. Bree? Oh, yeah. Fairly behaved. We'll go with that. So, uh, yeah, a <laughs> little bit of hiccup, but we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Ben, for taking the time. I appreciate it. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Before we get into our next conversation, today, May 4th, is Teacher Appreciation Day. So a big thank you to all the educators and their hard work, especially during this pandemic. And I would like to recognize one of my favorite teachers, Sister Kathy Sullivan, chemistry teacher at Rosada Kane High School in St. Louis, don't worry, I didn't blow anything up in the chem lab, which was remarkable given my desire to experiment without properly following formulas. But that was just me. I was a kid. The school is still there, folks. So a big thank you to Sister Kathy Sullivan, my old chemistry teacher back in high school. Now, on to this. The coronavirus pandemic forced many schools across the country to, of course, pivot to online classes. And we've had so many conversations with students and educators about what it's been like adjusting this last year. Now, in response to the challenges and concerns regarding online learning, a group of local high school students found a way to create their own online tutoring platform. So you know what that means. I'm going to talk to them. It's called Ingenfi, and the goal is to connect students with tutors who are also fellow students, and it's all virtual. Well, joining me now to talk about this are the brilliant minds behind Ingenfi. Let's welcome Bad Badesh Pandey, Benson Jong, 
Paul Phillip, and Jatong Su. Thank you all for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you for having us. Uh, first question, are you all at school? Where are y'all? Because y'all supposed to be in school. It's 141. Oh. We told our teachers that we'd be on air right now. <laughs> Hopefully they're listening in. <laughs> Well, let's begin here because it is Teacher Appreciation Day. Do you all want to thank a particular teacher? And uh, Jatong, I'll start with you. Oh, yeah. So uh, I would like to thank uh, Mr. Anderson. Uh, he's been actually, he was my AP World teacher last year, and he's been really helpful with me working on Ingenify this year. All right. Paul, what about you? Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Mr. Brown um, and Miss and Miss Hart. Um, you know, they've been uh, just tremendous supporters of what we've been doing here at Ingenify, um, and we're truly appreciative of them. All right, Benson, who do you want to thank? I want to thank Miss Pope. Uh, she was my literature teacher last year, and she's also just been incredibly supportive. And I actually told her about that we were going on uh, going live today, and she was very excited. All right, and Bedanch, who do you want to thank? Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Mr. Brown, who's my AP U.S. history teacher, and then also Miss Lake, who was my language arts teacher last year. They're both my my biggest fans and, you're, you know, my biggest cheerleaders, and I really appreciate both of them. All right. And that should at least get you maybe a little extra credit. I'm not sure, but uh, we hope. Let's stay with this. Oh, oh, we, oh we, we, we forgot to mention uh, Miss Waters, who is our uh, counselor, who's been helping us a lot. <laughs> yeah, thank the counselor. Always thank the counselor. Um, Jashan, let me stay with Let me go back to you for a moment, because if you could describe this past year with online and, and virtual and, and hybrid and all that, what word would you use if you could just use one word for you personally, if it's been challenging or if it's been just sort of different, what word would you use? Jatan, I'll start with you. Uh, I'd say it's been actually just uh, boring. Like Really? Uh, yeah. You miss your friends? Uh, yeah, yeah, I miss a lot of my friends. And actually just like uh, talking with the teacher because during online class, uh, no one turns around the camera and no one unmutes their microphone. So it's just the teacher kind of just giving a lecture and no one's interacting. I understand that. Philip, what about you? One word to describe this. Um, you know, I think a, a little chaotic, but, you know, filled with opportunities. Um, it's, it's obviously been very different. A lot of us have been staying home. Um, but, you know, that gives people greater flexibility. It, 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 op it opened the opportunity for us to create this program. Mm -hmm. um, so still good that came from it. And Benson? Uh, I would just say like flexible. I kind of just want to like resonate with what Paul said because, you know, like we all have like more of our, our, our own schedules uh, with what to do. We all have like more individual free time and we all just have, you know, more freedom with how to, how to spend our own time. Mm. Badanj, what about you? How do you describe this last year? I would say it's been incredibly tedious. It's just because academically, if you know you don't understand something, if you have really supportive teachers, then it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. But you know, in the case that it's a teacher that isn't that great, uh, you sort of have to scour the internet for you know how to do a certain concept, uh, and that's sort of why you know Ingenify has sort of been able to cut how tedious online school is for a lot of kids. That's why we we created. Well, Badanj, let me stay with you because take us, give us the backstory of Ingenify and how all this came about. Yeah, absolutely. So it pretty much all started off with um, with Jatong. Jatong wanted to do a project because he saw basically, he saw all of this happening uh, over the summer and he wanted to help out in some sort of way. 
and he had been wanting to do a project for a while. So, you know, he brainstormed some ideas and then he came to us with these ideas. And, you know, we sort of went down the list and we realized that Ingenify was probably the one that could benefit the most students uh, because it was something that, you know, like our community needed. And so that's the, the, the really general way of how it, how it started. Benson, did you all discover that there were a lot of students who really, did you all talk about, did your peers talk about the challenges and not being able to connect with the educators like they normally would? And when you all talked about this idea to your peers, what was the feedback? Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, because because over all my school, like there's a lot less interaction and connection between the teachers and the students. And a lot of my uh, friends as well have just said the same thing that, you know, they don't really even know the teachers that well. The teachers don't really know them that well. And because no one really talks that much, talks that much in class. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like we wanted to have this platform where we can connect, you know, uh, students together because a lot of times they can't even have the opportunity to socialize without without traditional, you know, schools and building. And we wanted to make this platform to have these peers connect and also have them connect with other students and to be able to teach and learn. And that's just really like our, our like solution to you know the, the problems with uh, the online school. Paul, I understand you played a role in this through the Beta Club. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. Um, I'm currently <clears throat> the president of our school's Beta Club, which is our school's largest volunteering organization. Mm -hmm. um, and so we knew that there was going to be a lot of challenges, you know, going into this school year um, in terms of creating events for members to volunteer at, you know, with such a limited in-person, um, you know, limited in-persons from all these organizations around here. And so Jatong came to me as, you know, hey, this could be a solution for that, you know, mm -hmm. by offering online tutoring, um, you know, beta members could get their hours and, you know, these students could receive the help they deserve. So Jatong, did you envision this as being a nonprofit? Because I believe it's what it is, correct? Uh, yeah, it is a nonprofit and it's actually uh, registered with the state of Georgia. Uh, initially, I, I didn't actually it, there, there wasn't supposed to be like a specific title for it. It was just supposed to be like kind, kind of just a website that people could use. But I guess like uh, making a nonprofit uh, makes it a bit more official and it makes, you know, students and teachers and schools more likely to trust us. Now, y'all are the instructors and your, your fellow students are, are instructors. This is a, a skill in itself. What has this process been like for you all? Jatan, I'll stay with you in terms of being an educator even if it is online, what have you learned out of this experience? Uh, so actually, I, I don't do that, that much tutoring online. I'm uh, Ingenify actually has uh, like around 150 tutors. And so I actually uh, don't don't get that many students. But I, I've actually learned a lot more about um, just work, working on projects and like trying to um, uh, grow this uh, platform, how, how to convince people to use our, uh, our platform and how to kind of market it towards schools and for parents and students. Well, let's talk so that's kind of like what I, I've learned the most. Well, let's talk about how students sign up and what a typical session is like. And uh, Badash, I'll start with you. Take our listeners through the process. If a student wants to sign up through this, what take us through that process. Absolutely. So the first thing they would have to do is type in ingenify.org. Uh, into their search bar, hit enter, uh, and then they would sign in with Google because um, we have a Google API. And then from there, they would set up their profile. Uh, and then, you know, they'd, they'd hit the save button. And when they set up the profile, 
uh, we ask that they put in their, if they're a student, we ask that they put in their student ID as well as um, the email of a teacher, just so that we can ensure that they are a, a real student. And then from there, um, they can just search up, they can, they can search up a tutor for a specific subject, or if they know a specific name of a tutor who's really good on the site, they can search them up. Or if they know tutors are good from a certain school, they can search that school up. There's a plethora of filters that you can use to find your particular tutor. And you send them a request, and then the tutor will get back to you as soon as possible. Benson, let me ask you this. The tutors, is there? what's the assessment that y'all use to make sure that this individual would be a good tutor? Well, yeah. So we actually have like this vetting system where we... We have to have the tutor uh, prove that they have a 3.7 or above GPA. And also we each uh, individually have to uh, make sure that the tutor does know like the subject that uh, he or she is teaching by doing a short interview with them. So one, we can tell like what the character is like and if they're suitable for teaching. And two, we also assess if they are, are good at teaching that content. And Paul, what are the grade levels here? Uh, the grade levels are K through 12. Um, we have students... Uh, you know, just even last night, having students from kindergarten and first grade signing up and, you know, juniors in high school learning AP physics and AP calculus. Um, so there's really a wide range of subjects that are learned and taught on the site. Y'all have kindergartners. Yes, yes. Um, some parents are actually, you know, they think that it would be good. And, you know, and I, I think that it's a great idea. Um, you know, some parents sort of want a older brother or an older sister, you know, maybe you would find that mentorship program in person if this was more normal times. Um, but you know what? And Jennifer, I think, is a, a really great substitute. You know, just having an older, you know, maybe a middle schooler or a high schooler, you know, read a book with your kindergarten or first grade year old child. Um, and, and I think it's really beneficial. In other words, I'm too old to be a tutor for at least the kindergartners, right? Is that what you're saying? It's okay if you say that I'm, <laughs> it's okay. I won't be offended. I, Rose Scott's too old to read to kindergartners is what you're saying. Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. Although technically all tutors do have to be high school students just for, you know, <laughs> privacy liability reasons, but absolutely not. I'm sure you'd be wonderful at that. That's a great answer. Uh, Jatan, what has the response been like from students? What have you heard from them? Uh, I think, the response from students has been uh, mostly uh, very positive because usually we see a, a lot of students having recurring meetings. So it's not like they're just uh, signing up with a tutor, having a meeting and then realizing that, you know, they're, they're not learning a lot. They're actually going back and having more meetings with that same tutor. And also uh, there are a lot of very positive reviews on the site. We see a lot of students saying like, you know, you know this, this is like the best tutor I've ever had. And we see often a lot of parents also commenting on the quality of, of the teaching. So I do think that the uh, response has been mostly positive for all of our students. You know, Badash, I asked Jatan earlier about what this whole experience has been like for him personally. I'm going to ask each of you to follow up, too, with that. What is working with Identify, what has it done for you in terms of uh, not just being being able to provide something for your fellow students, but how has it, I guess, personally affected you? I think it's definitely strengthened um, the way I communicate with people. Um, usually when I talk to people, I try to be, you know, if it's something um, official, I try to be extremely formal. But Ingenify has sort of taught me that you really need that personal touch when you're meeting with people and trying to connect with them. Uh, and that, that means, you know, being as casual as possible. 
um, you know, being formal doesn't necessarily mean being it, it's the best. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's the way in which it's, it's helped me. Paul, what about you? Um, you know, I think it's really broadened my horizons, um, especially, you know, maybe the state of the American education system. Uh, you know, people might say, oh, the system is flawed and you understand that from an abstract point of view. Um, but, you know, when you're speaking to schools and counties and you can sort of realize how the bureaucracy might actually be impeding the learning for students, mm-hmm. um, you know, it can be it can be very difficult. But at the same time, there's incredible teachers and administrators who are trying their best to to serve those students um, that they're committed to. But maybe the system as a whole is um, is, is is not doing the job that they would like them to. Mm. Vincent, what about you? What's his experience been like? Yeah, so for me, I've actually been like a tutor on the website since like the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I've been teaching Spanish and also math on the site. So I want to kind of focus on the more like the microscopic things that I've been seeing. So with tutoring, like one is that you actually do retain a lot more of the content that you teach. So by helping others, you actually really do in some ways help yourself mm-hmm. really strengthen your base in that subject. And you also get like a review of the content. And another thing is that like you just feel like that you are you're actually doing something good, doing something positive for, for like, for the social good. And that really like helps like shape your, your virtue and character. That's a great answer. All of you had great answers. Benson, what do you think it is about having a tutor who is either your same age or within your same peer group? And, and why that is so helpful for students? Not that, cause we know educators are doing the best they can, but there is something different when you have someone who's in your peer group, who is tutoring you, it's just a different dynamic. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So we do think that having like tutors of your same age or maybe slightly older than you is like more like 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 more beneficial to like retaining content prefer like in comparison to someone that is like way older, like teachers that are 50 or 60 years old. I think that's just because of the like the better social connection and social ties that you may mm-hmm. have with the, the, the tutor. And in many ways, I do think that like having a tutor that that is almost the same age as you does make you like learn better, I'd say. Jatan, as we wrap up, is there a subject that people have been asking for that you all haven't been able to find a tutor for? Or is there a subject that you would like to see that you all don't offer right now? Yeah. And so uh, what, what we noticed is that it is a lot easier for, uh, you know, someone in middle school and elementary school to find help on the site because, you know, they're learning subjects that most of our tutors are qualified to teach. But when it comes to harder AP topics like Mm -hmm. AP physics or AP calculus, we really only have a few of those. I think there's actually, there was actually one tutor on our side who could teach both of them. Mm. And he just kept getting like so many requests every single day because he was the only one that could teach these AP subjects. And so what we, what we would like is to have uh, a lot more like, you know, juniors and seniors on the site who have more experience with these uh, AP courses and so that they can teach others. But it's also kind of like more difficult because juniors and seniors are usually more busy Mm -hmm. and they can't take the time to volunteer on the site. Uh, My final question to all of you, and we'll go around the table here, is that do you think this model could be helpful for any school district, for for any school? And Jatan, I'll start with you. Oh, yeah, I think this model can uh, definitely be applied to uh, a bunch of other school districts. We actually do have... uh, students from you know all over the country even though we are officially uh, partnered with Fulton County Schools 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that doesn't mean that, you know, we, we can only restrict it to Fulton County. And so we, we are helping, you know, people from Texas and California, and they're uh, seeing as much improvement as the people in, uh, in our uh, county. Yes. All right. But Dash, what about you? This being a model that could really take off. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, it's sort of, I, I think that every county should be able to implement this successfully. We've seen lots of success in Fulton County, as Jatong just talked about, you know, with middle schools and elementary schools, seeing the same amount of success as people in other states and other counties. And so I think counties adopting this is just a matter of it being more widespread, um, which is our end goal. All right, Paul, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, 100 percent. You know, more and more counties adopting it. um, It it really creates a it would create a great cycle. You know, students are learning on the site and then, you know, maybe a year or two pass and they get into high school and they become tutors themselves and really uh, paying it forward. Um, I think, you know, the more students on the site um, and the quality of tutoring, although it's already very high already, I think it would just continue to increase. And yeah. And Benson, I'll give you the last word on this model. Well, yeah. So like, I, I do think that one of our foundational principles of Ingenify is that it's, it's modeled for everyone uh, for, it's supposed to be for like people that don't have the money or have the funds to, to like purchase a tutor that costs like a lot of money. It's supposed to be for, for, for like all social classes. And I do think that that makes it more universal to anyone with or without money. The platform is free. So if you need help, you can just go on Ingenify and get the help. All right. Thank you all so much for taking the time. I just got a message from one said, these teens are amazing. Badash Pandey, Bison Jong, Paul Phillip, and Jatong Su. They are the co-founders, creators of Ingenify. It's an online tutoring platform. Thank you all so much for taking the time to speak with me. Good conversation. Thank you all for what you're doing for your fellow students. Thank you, Thank you so, so much. much. Thank you. love conversations with young folks doing great things. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. If you missed any of today's program, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. And of course, you can always find Closer Look wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcast because we will be there. We should be. If we're not, let me know. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, as I said. And uh, stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub. 
at wabe.org slash election 2024.